Thanks for joining us for Episode 3 of Season 4 of Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communications strategist, and I just want you to know that this page is intentionally left blank. Wow. Are you, why do you look at me when you say that? I'm not a I am you, not a blank page. But it's intentional. I, okay. All no right. matter what. Well, as long as it's intentional, I can be a blank page. I'm Glenn Jody's partner in life and business. And a few days ago, I was in my car about to go in for an appointment, and I saw some breath strips in the car cup holder and decided it'd be a good idea, you know, to go in with fresh some fresh breath. breath. Sure, yeah. yeah. Be fresh. For some reason, I closed my mouth before I could get the strip into <laughs> it, and it stuck to my lip. And... I spent the next several seconds swatting at my mouth, shaking my head, and making all kinds of weird motions. Must have been very entertaining to Where anyone who you? might have been watching. You were in a parking lot? It's a parking lot, yeah. Going into a doctor's going office? Going into a doctor's office. Okay. I wasn't going to put that part in. Well, that's embarrassing. Makes that people might give you a benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, they might. On today's show, we discuss time management and interview an attorney about legal mistakes that small businesses make and how to avoid them. And at the end of the show, we try to find out where that time we all seem to miss during the day has actually gone. Without further ado, let's get started with this episode of Couples, Inc. Today's big topic, we decided to address time management. Yeah, we did. And that is something that comes up time to time. We found time uh, to do it. We found time to do it a lot of time. You realize how often you say the word time, just in general. But anyway, this is about a specific concept of time. Um, and I've often heard that it's not managing time, it's managing yourself um, in terms of what you can accomplish prioritizing, setting goals, those kinds of things. Because yeah. time is, you can't change how much time you have. Well, yet. I'll say yet. Um, I'm working on, you know, that project I have in the garage? <laughs> You've been still, tinkering away at yeah, it. Yeah, still back behind the, the, the tarp. What is it, the flex capacitor that you have to have for the... Don't oh, wait, you don't want to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised the world with it a little bit. 88 miles per hour. Um, so, anyway, the thing that came to my mind when we started talking about time management is I think there are two main culprits to okay. this. One is recognizing how long a task will take... Uh -huh. And the other is prioritizing correctly. Now, there uh -huh. are probably other factors, but those, I think, whenever I've seen someone struggle, or if I myself have struggled with getting something done, it is boiled down to, I thought it would take a lot less time to do. Yeah, I'm guilty of that, too. Or... I put something ahead of it that shouldn't have come ahead of it. So yeah, I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, it is. I mean... After a while, you kind of get used to how long something takes, like with production, like whenever you're doing a, say, a rate when you used to do radio spots. Mm -hmm. when you probably or when first, I'm doing podcasts. Or when you're doing podcasts. You probably started out, I guess, thinking it would take less time. But over the years of experience that you've gotten, you kind of can gauge that better. Yeah, a lot better now than I used to. Sometimes I look at something and think that it will only take 
X amount of time because it looks familiar, mm-hmm. and then get in the middle of it and realize, hey, there's got to be more nuance here, or I'm having trouble sourcing uh, a certain element, maybe a sound effect or a piece of music. Right. Then, yeah, it, that, that tends to stretch the timeline quite a bit. Well, and if you're not used to it, this is a story when um, I was doing some marketing for a hospital. The marketing director um, had set up a schedule because I was like, we're going to bring a camera crew out. We were going to do a video. And so we were going to set up. And she had this schedule where we were going to be at 10 different locations in like four hours. Oh, on, with the aid the of her new transporter. I know. And I was like, um, that, you know, because she's thinking, okay, we arrive, we do the video, we go to the next place. And I'm like, you've got to account for setting up the lights, setting up the camera equipment, all those things that she had not done a lot of. She had come from more of a print background. And so that experience will help. But even sometimes with experience, you are... uh, overly optimistic that you'll be able to get things done quicker. Sure. Or maybe you just don't know. Like you said, until you get in there, you're like, oh, I need a lot more, you know, sound effect or music design in this. And that experience really comes in, it's almost priceless. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to estimate a job for a client, it's, it's essential, I think, to have that experience or to have some sort of a calculator yes. that you can use to you know, come up with a reasonable expectation of what the deliverable on the project is. So that's one of the biggest ones um, that I see people do when they overschedule themselves. They'll be like, okay, I'll have this meeting and it'll take me no time to do this and then I'll schedule another meeting. So they're, they're missing deadlines that way. But the second one I mentioned was prioritizing. Uh-huh. And I think even with... a a ton of experience that still can become an issue for people to prioritize what to get done so that they can meet their deadlines and stay within the the time frame they've allotted yeah it helps to have some sort of a trafficking system Mm -hmm. or software or an app or something like that that will help you keep track of where a project is in its development and execution and where you are in your tasks and in where what stages you're at in each one you can't there's no way to keep that stuff in your head oh, there's God. just not i know i've got a really good memory and but i have post-it notes everywhere yeah. we do have a system but i will also in, in on top of that system remind myself okay i need to do this first um and also this you know this needs to happen i always try to look at okay is someone else waiting on me like i might be writing up a plan or copy but someone else has to design it so let me get that done first as far as prioritizing and get it to them yeah. because I can work my stuff anytime. My system is Jody 1.0 <laughs> and that it works pretty well for me. I think those post-it notes may have something to do I with know, it. I know, I know. I do enjoy the post-it note, not a sponsor. Yeah, prioritizing. You actually did some research on some, I mean, there are legit techniques. I mean, we are by no means time management experts. Trust me. I fancy myself a time management I don't know, I'm not I'm not pro, I'm like amateur athlete level. No, you're pretty good. I would I would put you in the pro category. Okay, I'm a pro uh, time Maybe management. Maybe not a first person. rounder, but in the draft you would you definitely go. You, I would definitely you're gonna yeah. make your money. I pride myself on time management mainly because I do take into account how much time it's going to take and prioritizing. Um, but I think it just for some people it's just sort of instinctive. Like I kind of just think that way. But you found some things that if people aren't like naturally designed to, I don't know, 
be as organized or maybe they don't have the system in place that we have or yeah. what have you there are some techniques so what are those okay well one of them is uh, this is a classic the pareto analysis that it, sounds like a netflix movie <laughs> Well, yes. It probably will be a Somebody Netflix. Somebody get on the horn with Denzel Washington after he's done with the Equalizer series. From businessnewsdaily.com, this is where the information I condensed is from. And we'll put the link in the show notes. But this has been around for a long time. It's also known as the 80-20 rule. Okay. It's an idea that 20% of actions are responsible for 80% of outcomes. Okay. And as it might kind of uh, imply this doesn't just apply to business but or, or time management but you can certainly use it for that oh yeah how it works roughly is number one you list some of the problems you're facing for example maybe you're falling behind on projects no okay so when you look at pro- uh, problems you're facing would that list like include distractions or lack of resources oh yeah that's, okay, so that's you... number two identify oh. the root cause <laughs> Of each problem. You may spend too much time uh, doing uh, social media or some other sort of distraction or placing non-essential tasks ahead of important tasks. Okay, so you start with the list. The prioritization you were talking about. And then you go to the root cause of what that is. Uh-huh. Okay, And then, ne- then, and then assign a score to each of the problems you have on your list. The higher the number, the more important the task. Okay. Group the problems together by cause. You group together all the problems caused by spending too much time on projects that can be moved to later. So you've essentially created these this segmented list right. uh, of each thing that you've got to do, and you categorize them. Okay, so when you're saying problem, you could also replace that word with task. Yeah. So what are the tasks you're facing? List those out. What's the root cause of not getting this done on time? Yeah. Give them a score of how important they are and then group them. Kind of like when people block tasks together so they're in that same mindset. Yeah, and you add up the score of each group. Mm -hmm. And the group with the highest score is the group you should work on first. Hmm. I can see that, but I'm going to push back a little bit. And this is the way I do things. I don't always work on the most important thing first. Sometimes... Neither do I. Sometimes, though... I work on the things I can get done quickly and get those off my plate and I'm still able to get my deadlines. I think you have to know if you can do that or not. Because like we've often talked about, if you have a list of five things to get done and you've ranked them and you've got the number one thing and you're working on it, but the other four don't get done. Yeah. In my mind, I'd rather get the four that are quick to get done and then focus on the other one. But I don't know, then, then are you setting yourself up for failure if you're not... Well, to, you know. the disclaimer on this website said not applicable to Jody Spears. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm obsessed. It's my, maybe it's my OCD. I love checking things off lists. So if I yeah. have five things and I can see three of them, I can do in like an hour. Yeah, I'll be like, boop. even if they're least important, I'll mm-hmm. be like, boop, 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 and then I'll start working on. Even though all the logic says work on the most important things. Now, that being said, I, I tend to be able to fit the more important things in after I get those other things done. But I'm kind of like, again, the asterisk at the end of that list of yeah. like. Well, but everything becomes important if you look at it oh, from a certain standpoint. Yeah. You seem to be able to categorize just on instinct. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a tremendous thing. It's it's a great gift. And for for our business especially to keep 
us kind of on track with those prioritized items. And hopefully, if people are in a you know business, one member of the of the couple that owns the business, maybe one of them is more instinctually instinctually wired to be efficient, be aware of deadlines, move things forward, and kind of be that person. Like you said, you know, have a system in place or a traffic system kind of thing. And if they're not, they can use our. They can use the eighty twenty thing. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Or they could use the Pomodoro technique. Okay, is that now that was the other one was Netflix. This is like an Amazon Prime series. Maybe. The Pomodoro technique. And this is from the University of Pittsburgh website. See, I just cast a wide net over You do. You over are online stuff and everything the, comes back. You are good at aggregating a lot of information. I know I'm good at aggravating you. No aggregate. A- aggregating. Aggregate. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Again, something that's it's not uh, ancient, mm-hmm. like uh, the one we were talking about before, but this one is uh, its equally effective, it looks like. Uh, number one, you choose a single task to focus on. That makes at sense. At the exclusion of every other task that you have. Mm-hmm. Set a timer to 25 minutes and work continuously. Huh. On that one task. Just drill down on that sucker. <laughs> Take a five-minute break. And you repeat this four times. So in total, you'll be spending uh, close to two hours. I was going to say one hour because 100 minutes is in an hour <laughs> times 25. But math. that's um, I know. It's a 60. There's, there's my math skill coming through. Um, you repeat this four times. Take a 30-minute break at the end of that cycle. Mm-hmm. And then go back to it if, you, if necessary. It's kind of like bite-sized chunks. Yes. You, it's it's not so much setting the priority. It's helping you get through the most important of your tasks. And you can use it in uh, concert with any of these other uh, methods that we've got listed here. Well, a couple things that I really like about that technique. One, the idea of focusing. Because people think they can multitask. I, myself, feel like I can multitask. Mm-hmm. You, you really can't. I mean, you, you can check emails while you're maybe on a conference call that no one's like, you know, they're talking about something you're not paying attention to, sure. But it's really hard to multitask. And if you cut out the distractions, so during this 25-minute period, yeah. you don't check email, you don't answer the phone call, you don't go to a meeting. Yeah. So, but yeah, you focus on that, then you take a break, and it gives you, like you said, this bite size. So it may be a huge project, but you're like, okay, timer, all I can do, get this done, mm-hmm. and then take a break, come back. I think that helps you feel less overwhelmed, lets you focus, and kind of gives you permission yeah. to say, you know what, for this period of time, I am not available for these distractions. Exactly. It's yeah. hard to do. Easier said than done. I was just yeah. about to say, yeah, yeah, very hard to do. Well, yeah, that's that's a pretty good thing, and it looks like it's simple enough that it could become a habit mm-hmm. after a while. The way that you would approach most tasks, and you might not use the full twenty-five minutes of that first block. Or I don't know if this is allowed or not, but I know sometimes this is what um, when you're trying to do something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You set a timer, but then you find that once you're into it, you're going to go ahead and continue on. Like if you're cleaning something or organizing something. So say your closet, it's overwhelming, and you want to organize it. You set your timer for 25 minutes, but then you find at 24 minutes, you're okay. You're going to keep moving forward. So maybe you don't always have to take that break. I, I do don't know. think that one of the keys to it is the break. Yeah. If you get to 24 minutes, 
and you think, okay, I'm at a stopping point. Let me go get you know a glass mm-hmm. of water or a glass of beer, a glass of whiskey, whatever. <laughs> however he hard a the, drink. the test. He drinks a yes. Um, yeah, you're right. I tend I tend to be the kind of like just plow through, but I think you're right. If you take that break, it does help you reset and get your mind off the task, come back, and you have fresh eyes, yeah. even if it's just for five minutes. All right, so we combine a little bit of the prioritize. Then once you've prioritized, now let's hone in and do this setting a timer system. Okay, yeah. what's next? Yeah, and the last one that we've got in the interest of brevity, there were probably ten of them that I saw online. But these are the these are the three. Isn't that ironic really... that you're looking for time management and you can end up spending so much time looking for time management techniques? The third one that I found. And this is really somebody that I admire a great deal, Dwight Eisenhower, mm-hmm. the general and then the president. The Eisenhower Matrix. Okay, and we that got sounds this, cool. Yeah, we got this from the <laughs> TED Talks website, one of their educational pages. Uh, you divide your task into four quadrants. Okay, let's t- say you've got them on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Four quadrants. Above the top, label the left quadrant urgent and the right not urgent. Okay, so urgent versus not urgent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then on the side, you label important and not important at the side of the upper left and the lower left quad, respectively. I think I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a little easier visualized than it right. is said. Um, but in quad one, inside the box, you label do. Quad two, label decide. Quad three, delegate and delete for quadrant four. So basically what you're saying is things that are important and urgent, mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. Important, not urgent, you decide. decide. Yeah. Not important, but urgent, you delegate. Delegate. Mm-hmm. Not important, not urgent, you delete. Yeah, you blow them off. I like that. That's as, And that's what a matrix should do, is to help you figure out those things. Because as odd as it is, there are things that come up that are urgent but really aren't very important. Sure. Or they're not urgent, not important, but they come up yep. and you're like, okay, I need to do these things. And Every not business be. has them. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, when you're when you have a time crunch mm-hmm. and you're struggling to get these things done, consult the matrix. Yes. Which sounds like Well, the fun a movie fact thing. about this is <laughs> first like of all, movie thing. <laughs> yeah, first of all, you 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 take that mm-hmm. and then you list the tasks according to their priorities and deadlines. Mm-hmm. And I guess it must have worked for him. It's how he won World War II in Europe. Yeah. Also, I'm sure you, there's a little bit more than just a matrix, but Well, no, he used his matrix and that was it. <laughs> that was it. After all, you can't spell Eisenhower without Neo. Jody and I visited recently with Mary Buckley, a director at CGWG Law Firm, about legal issues facing small businesses. Here's that interview. So, uh, Mary, you have selected for us to talk about today five common mistakes, and you've said that there are a lot of mistakes small business owners need to think about and to avoid, but these are like some five common ones. One of them is not keeping required records, and that, I have to say, is a very confusing thing because, like, what records do you keep? For how long do you have to keep them? Or how long do for you have to keep them? I'm trying to think how you Englishly say that. Englishly? Grammarly say that. So so tell us a little bit about when you say required records. What are you talking about? Right. So there are 
federal laws and state laws that dictate how long you have to keep certain records. So when I'm talking about required records in the employment context, you know, I'm going to be talking about timekeeping records, payroll records, um, data you've got to keep on your employees and for the period of time. Like, for instance, you have to keep timekeeping records for two years. You've got to keep other payroll and biographical data for three years under certain laws. Um, and what they require, you know, an employee's full name, social security number, their payroll sheets, time records, all of that, the deductions you made from their pay. Um, and another one that people forget about just to shift completely away from timekeeping and payroll records is hiring records. Uh, and the reason for that is if you don't keep those, do you have enough to show that you did not discriminate against someone in the hiring process? And so generally you want to keep those for at least a year, you know, applicants, unsuccessful ones, and successful ones, any emails that you sent, the interview notes, anything like that. Wow, that's um, a lot of lot of record keeping and a lot of stuff to keep in mind. Is there like a, a place people in whatever state they're in can find a checklist of sorts or do they need to consult an attorney for this type of uh, information? I mean, a checklist would definitely be helpful. I don't know if, if one necessarily exists. Um, I haven't seen one. That doesn't mean there's not one out there. Um, but I mean, you you know, when you start getting into the process, if you're worried or you have a concern, that's when you should consult an attorney. And I, I hate to defer to the internet, but you can you can Google some of these things and find them, you know, if you're worried about a concern and if you think you've done something wrong at that point, then I would recommend, you know, reaching out to counsel mm-hmm. um, because the internet can only get you, get so, you far. so far. Right, um, yeah, and you can't use that as a defense. Well, Google said, you know, yeah, yeah, you sorry, judge, but Google told me this. But yeah, that is something to think about is if you are going to hire employees, um, you've got to keep a record from start to finish, um, even when they're like you're letting them go or something. You have to keep a record start to finish. And then if you have hourly employees and, and what about salary? You don't necessarily have a timesheet situation with them. What is that different? Well, I mean, you're still going to keep records for salaried employees because for salaried employees, which when I say salary, I'm, I'm talking about salaried exempt employees. So mm-hmm. they're exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act. You're still required to keep records on, you know, their pay because you can only make certain deductions from their pay. So you've got to be able to show if someone came back and said they made unauthorized deductions in violation of the act that you didn't make those. And the only way to do that is to have those those records. Um, And even for small businesses, you know, there's nothing that says it has to be through a program or a software. So when it comes to timekeeping records or, you know, the pay records are a little bit easier because it has to go through a bank generally. So you'll be able to see that itemized. But for timekeeping, you don't have to use a, a software or any system like that. You can have employees, you know, if you're small enough and you you can't afford that expense, you know, have employees have other ways of documenting their time, like, you know, signing when they get there, when they're starting work, when they're ending work, you know, and then, you know, making sure those are signed off on and those are reviewed. Um, because so it could it, just be pen and paper, but it it's... can be. I mean, it, that's like worse, ca- you know, that's mm-hmm. my nightmare. I don't want to see pen and paper, <laughs> uh, but I recognize that not, you, know, you can't, you know, companies can't, you know, some of these payroll systems and timekeeping systems can be expensive and some employers still use the old you know punch in punch out which works Mm -hmm. you know just something that documents their time and has been you know verified by the employee that these are the hours they worked one of the things that's on this list too mary is failing to make payroll in a timely manner talk a little bit about that yeah so this is really a two-part um mistake i couldn't let it go without putting another part in there Uh, and this really is nothing is more sacred than an employee's pay. And you learn very quickly as an employer that that is, that is, you know, 
the most special thing about, or, you know, what they really are going to have an issue with if you don't pay them on time. Yeah. And most states require, have specific laws on how often you have to pay an employee. For instance, in Connecticut, you have to pay employees weekly unless you've gotten permission from the state labor commission to pay them on a less frequent basis. In Arkansas, you've got to pay employees generally at least twice a month, whether that if people consider that bi-weekly or, or bi-monthly, uh, up to interpretation of other people. So there are rules about when you have to pay employees and, and what that time frame is. Um, and you know, you want it to be regular and scheduled and they know when they're getting paid. The other part to this and where the, the mistake more often comes in is what happened? Are there different rules for when you terminate an employee versus when they just resign in regards to getting them their final pay? Uh, and there are. So in, a, in Texas, for instance, if an employee is terminated, then you have seven days or six days to get them their final pay. Uh, versus if they resign, it's just the next regular payday. So there is that affirmative obligation on the employer if they terminate an employee in Texas to pay them their final pay before, potentially before the end of the next payday, within the six days. Um, It's very similar in Missouri, except it's even more accelerated in that if you terminate an employee, their wages are due at the time of termination. And if you fail to pay them then, and then they make a written demand, like, hey, I want my pay now, and you still don't pay within seven days, then you're liable for additional wages up to, like, until you pay them up to a 60-day period. Oh, wow. And these, these timelines, you can terminate someone at the beginning of a two-week pay period, and so you can't, you, you've got to look at that because you can't guarantee that you're going to meet these, these required times just by making the pay on the next pay period. Generally, if they resign, you're okay. You know, it's, it's going to be the next payday. But when you terminate them, you've got to move a little bit quicker. So yeah. when I fire Glenn, I mean, I'm sorry, if I were to fire Glenn in Arkansas, <laughs> what is Which, this? Yeah, I don't think you can do because I own 49% of the company. You'd true. have to buy me out. So, all right. So, well, what good then? We're safe. We don't have to worry about the paperwork. Of I'm me. safe. Yes. I could stage a shareholder's revolt, though. That Yeah, do a hostile takeover. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next thing. It's still kind of related, um, is misclassifying employees and workers, because we always hear 1099, and you're saying there's no such thing as a 1099 employee. Tell us, like, where's the confusion coming from that? Yeah, and I, I'll just emphasize this. There is no such thing as a 1099 employee. So if you have a 1099, they're an independent contractor, they're not a W-2 employee, and the confusion comes in in that people hire and pay them as 1099 contractors, and they're doing the exact same thing as a full or part-time W-2 employee. Uh, and, and this happens a lot, and where you see it is if your 1099 person is doing the same job as your employee, then they're not really an independent contractor. They're an employee. Um, and, you know, there's there's – a detailed list of what makes someone an independent contractor versus an employee. And it, you know, it does come down to the control exercised over them, but you see a lot where, Oh, I just need someone short term. So I'm going to give, you know, 1099 or how I pay everyone, even though they do the same job as I pay them 1099, but I give them all their work and everything like that. Um, so really that's what I see a lot. And I'll have people call me and say, well, they're 1099 employee. And I'm like, well, we've got an issue because that's not a, a real thing. Um, and then the next issue you see moving away from that is when you look at employees, they have to be classified to either exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act or not exempt. 
Uh, and sometimes people misclassify them, and it's always to your detriment to misclassify someone as exempt, uh, because there are certain things that have to be met for an employee to 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 be exempt. And those are going to be managers generally, but even within them, they have to meet a salary basis test. They have to have a certain duties dedicated to their executive functions, and, and you know the list goes on a little bit. But that that's kind of where you see it, because you know it's easier to pay someone a salary sometimes than to track their hours and pay them hourly uh, and, and trying to go back and do the math after there's an issue that's arisen where you paid someone a salary and you have to go back and figure out where they paid more than minimum wage for all hours worked. They're always going to say they worked more than 40 hours if an issue comes up. So how do you go back and, and, and fix that? And usually you can't really, or it is very difficult. Yeah, that does seem like very, you know, complicated things to think about. Because I always wonder, like, at what point are you just a consultant or a vendor versus a 1099? Because there are instances where I would consider us a vendor, just like you go to a print shop, but yet other businesses who contract us to be um, a marketing consultant or whatever will send us a 1099. A lot of times, even though 1099 is a separate legal entity, it's just one person, and the name is like Mary Buckley LLC, and that's how I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 doesn't mean you're not a 1099, but with y'all, how it works, you, you're going to be a 1099, and even as a vendor, they may not just understand that they need to send you a, a, a different form. Yeah, it is very. But we, you know, always try to check with our accountant, and we're all legal. I think. I would beg to differ on that because point number four on this list, failing to have oh, or so update we're... an employee handbook, I don't think we're legal. We don't have one of those, do we're, we? We are, we are, we are um, lawbreakers. Or... How much trouble are we in, Mary? So you, no law requires that you have a handbook, and making a handbook can be a very daunting process. And what I always tell clients is, I guarantee you, if you do not have a handbook, you have policies and procedures in place that you are following and your employees are following. And so to get started on the process, outline what those are. Like people are showing up in the clothes they're supposed to show up in. They're recording their time like they're supposed to. They're submitting mileage reimbursements. So you have policies and procedures in place if you don't have a written handbook, but you you want to get some form of a written handbook down. And you want to follow and and be consistent with that handbook and make appropriate changes as time goes on to that handbook. And in terms of failing to maintain, some people make a handbook and then don't look at it again for 20 years. And this is an area of law that changes rapidly, you know, from sometimes it's from administration to administration. Like we've seen recent changes in how handbooks are going to be looked at and what's going to be a violation of the law if it's in a handbook or, you know, if you want to have an employee sign a non-compete, you know, if that's a violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Um, And so we're seeing, so you have to make constant changes and then it'll naturally change as your business grows or as situations arise. You may not think to do something and it comes up and you've got to put it in your handbook. But I will say what what isn't a, you know, inherent policy or practice and what you would want to get down is some kind of anti-harassment, anti-discrimination policy. Because uh, it's important because even if you don't meet the threshold for employees to be subject to Title VII, which is the discrimination protection, um, or the other ones, the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Age Discrimination Employment Act, there is another federal statute that applies regardless of the amount of employees you have. And you do need that policy so that if someone has an issue, they know where to go and they know who to complain to. And then 
you know how to get the process started and how you need to investigate it. Yeah, there are a lot of things, like you're saying, not changing it. Like look at uh, social media, for example, you know, addressing how your employees can do, you know, uh, can post about things for your business and social media or whether they can use social media or things they can access on their computer. There are things you've got to keep up. How often would you say you should uh, look to update your handbook? So internally, you should look to update it about every year. And then, you know, if administrations change, and I mean, like governmental administrations, you probably need to just reach out. If you have a labor and employment lawyer, you know, reach out and say, hey, should I be worried? Should I update my handbook? Because um, we do see a lot of sweeping changes, like especially with social media, you know, the, the National Labor Relations Board, um, you know, this isn't the right, you know, name for it, but they're almost the they kind of operate as handbook police so employee employee handbook police and they will look at these and they've said you know social media policies have to be changed there was one social media policy they approved years ago and now you know you kind of got to go back through and really kind of almost gut the policy and put some other stuff in there uh and you know codes of conduct that are in handbooks the same thing you've got to kind of remove some things that were normally in there um so you want to do it regularly and then you know as you gain employees and lose employees the environment will change and you may need to make other changes based on that so yeah glenn get on that creating a handbook i'm on it now you're on it right now Yeah. Formu- formulating no, it in my mind. Formula- but I like the fact that you said that you, as a business owner, you automatically are doing certain things. Just put it down in writing and start there. And then as you start getting, you know, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. But then as you start looking at Googling some things, like what should you put in your policy and just thinking terms of, in terms of your business. So so I think not like people might not create a handbook because they're intimidated by the process. But you're saying don't let that you know stop you. Get started with something in writing and then look and see how it can be adapted with different administration changes, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, you just have to get started on it. It doesn't have to be, it's not a legal document. It's not a contract. It's, it's a guidebook for your employees and a guidebook for you as well. And it, it doesn't have to be in legalese. It doesn't have to be formal. It really needs to be in a way that can communicate to your employees. So you don't want it to read like a contract either. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, plain language doesn't need to be, you know, flowery or, or anything like that. It just should get to the point in the way that everyone's going to understand. I like that. That's, yeah, it makes it feel less less intimidating. Yeah. All right, the final one, because we boiled it down to five, even though, again, the more I'm learning, the more I'm like, Wow, there are a lot of things out there we probably need to be thinking about. But this one I thought was very interesting is not understanding what to do for uh, employee references or referrals. Because I know that if you have had an employee leave, whether resigned or terminated, they might list you and then you might have a future employer call. What are you obligated to tell this person when it comes to the reference? Because, you you know, that could get you in a little bit of trouble if you go too far. Right, yeah. And and I did a presentation kind of similar lines to this, but it was, I think, like 17 common mistakes. This is just the, the <laughs> ones that kind of are... Seventeen. Oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. and the list can go on and on. We'll but, to, um, we'll, we're gonna have to bring you back, and we'll just we'll keep we'll do an ongoing series. Yeah, you'll have to yeah. wait for the, the feedback from this one. Um, the sequel. Yeah, yeah, part two. Um, and most employers they hear this like, oh, it's easy. You just provide dates of employment. Yes, they worked here, and that's right. And then it it goes a level farther because state law can also come into play and say what you can provide them and when you can provide them. So in Arkansas, if you're going to provide information, you know, they have to have signed a 
you know, a written thing authorizing you. And it can be that they say, hey, I've listed you as a reference, just letting you know. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily take that they just put your name down on the application as that. Probably just need a little bit more. Um, but where, so this is on the 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 former employee yeah, the should be reaching former, out to you. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, if you're not sure, you can reach out to them and say, "Hey, I've received a reference request. I just want to make sure that you know you've authorized me or that you're okay with me giving your you a reference to this employer, this prospective employer." And that's that's the easy part. But the problem comes is it comes in remove yourself from the formal aspect of being called. And as the business owner, you represent the company and someone's asking you just like, hey, how was he? Or this is an example of a truck driver. You know, he always made his deliveries on time. Then you throw in, yeah, but his customers hated him. You know, that's not even documented data that mm-hmm. you've then provided to them. Um, or it's an even more informal, you know, situation when they ask you, well, what did you think? And you're like, well, I didn't really like her, but this person did okay or, or whatever. So it's, it's kind of not necessarily speaking off the cuff, but just forgetting that you are acting as a representative of the company and, you know, that is your capacity and how you're responding. So it needs to be the data authorized to provide them. Most people are familiar with dates of employment, which if that's what you want to go with, that's the safest bet. Sometimes you're allowed to give more depending on what the law is in that state. Um, and, and just making sure it's whatever it is, it's the documented data. And I, I, uh, I went and looked at this this morning because people don't. Sometimes people don't believe me that this is a this is a serious problem, and so I, I pulled a case from 1985 where this employee gets terminated, and as he's applying for new employment, he believes that his former boss is is you know lying about him and, and saying these untruths and really casting aspersions on him. Uh, so he hires a private investigator to pose as a prospective employer and say, hey, give me a reference on this guy. And it turned out the former boss was doing exactly what was said and, and making these ac- you know, accusations about him that weren't documented, that were about you know, integrity and honesty. And in 1985, a jury said this is defamation and awarded almost $2 million <gasps> oh in gosh. damages. Um, Don't get any ideas, Glenn. Yeah. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be, you can't say we were too late. Two million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's, wow. a, that's an extreme example. And, and I, I read like a brief synopsis. So I didn't get into the, the detailed mm-hmm. facts or if there was a reduction of that award. But, you know, defamation is one of those things where it, it's a, it can be hard to prove, but having that, you know, you, you just want to avoid it. Um, yeah. That is one of the tough things, though, because if you are like, if you let someone go, and say that person was stealing, and that is documented, mm-hmm. then you can talk about that. But if it's something that is like, uh, they just were, you know. They smelled funny. And it had an annoying laugh, then you don't yeah. want to do that. Or they were lazy. If you're yeah. saying like, oh, they were lazy, or, you know, didn't really get, didn't get along with their coworkers, or had an attitude, something that, like, that's, it's not exactly subjective. I'm sure there's someone else that could corroborate it, but it's not... It's not something that is it's easily pro- proven. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, yeah. It, it, those may not reach the level of defamation, but it's still you're mm-hmm. you're getting too far into the territory of you've moved past a reference, and you whatever you say is binding on the the company, so that you know you'll be responsible for that. Yeah, and then I guess that is the tough thing that small business owners they want if they have an employee who, like you said, it is 
it says something that's vague or something that they're not really, you know, they can't document or prove, but that's kind of where you, you can't really do that. You, well, it you, sounds like you have to be more able to quantify, mm-hmm. to better be able to put in exact terms, yeah, this person might have been lazy, but here's the result of that. They had a goal that we set for them that they didn't reach consistently over a time period, and that might be something that would be more less nebulous, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what I think you've described is probably too much information uh, being being transmitted. Um, but just because, you know, it's going to depend on the law what all you can say. So, you know, can you say they were terminated? What were they terminated for? You know, what else can you say? Can you talk about their pay, their performance? Um, but with respect to the, the question you were kind of asking, I think businesses should look out for businesses. You know, you're all in the same community. You're all employers. But, you know, Every prospective employer has has not you know needs to do their due diligence in looking at employees, and it's it's not on you to on a, on any small business to you know risk exposure in in, in helping you know they're going to be doing what they need to do. It's not necessarily on you if it doesn't work out or if it you know they don't get the information because you can't give it to them. Well, this has been great information, and uh, we look forward to having you on future episodes too, Mary. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you all so much. Thanks. <clears throat> Disclaimer voice. The following is a parody of a true crime podcast. It was written and recorded while Jody was under the influence of pain medication following wrist surgery, and I too may have been a bit slap-happy from lack of sleep. The philosopher Steve Miller once said, Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. What did this wise man know? What was he trying to tell us? I decided to investigate this time phenomenon myself and try to answer the question, Where does time go? I know I'm going to need help on this journey discovering where time goes during the day when we don't feel like we have enough was going to be tough. We all have 24 hours. In some cases, a few of us are killing it during that time, and others are just killing time. I went to meet D-Tective, a world-weary private eye whose office was in a strip mall just off the bypass between a cell phone shop and a nail salon. I remember coming to the same place years ago when it was a kid's hair salon. Mm, I gotta get that doorbell changed. How long have you been at this office? Mm, About 25 years. I wondered why it was taking him so long to change the doorbell, but then I realized it's time that is the enemy here, which brings us back to the case at hand. Detective's desk is covered with files. I'm sure cases he's been working... Oh, oh, no, those are just takeout menus. But I'm sure he's been pretty busy, so I'm very lucky he's taking on this case. I see a magazine with Daniel Craig on the cover, promoting his movie No Time to Die from a few years ago. As I move the magazine so I can sit down, I realize time is yet again taunting me. So you're looking for a missing person? No, it's um, more a missing thing or a missing concept. I'm looking for missing time. I took on a case once where a guy's family couldn't account for his whereabouts. He worked at the IRS. Turns out he went missing because his family had forgotten to file a return. Here, take a look at this. It'll explain everything. After about an hour and a half of watching YouTube videos on the truth 
about the IRS, uh, flat earth rants, and alien abductions. We didn't learn anything more about why we don't have enough time to get things done. But we did find out that green aliens are bad and the gray aliens are good. I think it's all very alarming. I'll have to do another podcast on this later, but back to time and why we never seem to have enough of it. It's getting late, so we decide to start fresh the next morning. I wake up early to get a head start, maybe get ahead of time itself. But given my business as a podcaster, I've got to keep up on current events. So I grab my phone to scroll Instagram and watch a few TikTok reels. An hour later, I get up and have some breakfast. I'd arranged to meet Tective for lunch, my treat. He had been a bit confused about taking on the case for free, so I offered to pay for meals. I did suggest that if he had a line of innovative new mattresses or prepackaged food kits, we could do some advertising for him in exchange, but turns out he is not an investor in those businesses. So lunch would do, and he had many choices, given his huge array of menus. After lunch, we started a stakeout looking for this time that my client was so eager to track down. If you've never been on a stakeout, the rules are simple. Wait. Wait some more. I suggest we discuss the case during a walk in a forest with lots of leaves for no other reason than it makes satisfying ASMR sound. All right, what about, what about that? Is that you know, no, that's too loud. You think too loud? Yeah. All right, what about, what about you know, this? That's too silent, too, too okay, soft. There's okay. no, nothing there. Okay, I'm going to walk again. All right, tell me what you think. Hey, that's just right. All right, all right. Let's have the leaves going underneath, okay? Yeah. And let's go back to the sound, okay? <clears throat> Got to wrap this up and get over to the lodge. I'm scheduled to be inducted into the Luddite Order Society of Excessive Roughnecks. Loser? Yeah. I, too, had errands to run, picking up dry cleaning, picking up sticks, picking up a cold. So I bid my new friend goodbye until our next meeting, where we would continue to find out why none of us have enough time during the day to do the things we need to get done. Hello? Oh, sure. I have time for a 20-minute survey. Thanks for listening to Couples Inc., a podcast helping couples work better together. We put out new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month. But to make sure you don't miss a show, subscribe using your favorite streaming service. We're on all of them. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, go ahead, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave us a rating or review. And be sure to visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com, to learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time.